Welcome back to the Talking Footy podcast. Each week across the footy season, we're talking with the biggest names in the game. My name is Basil Zamplis, and this week, our special guest is Nick Natanui. As part of this podcast, I discuss Nick's early years, where he was born, coming to Perth, when he discovered that football was going to be a big part of his life. Those that he's closest to, the father figures in his life in the absence of his dad, the time he got in trouble from John Walsfold and Trevor Nisbet. I've made a silly comment. I said, you know, all these guys are six, seven feet tall, but in the NBA, they dunk. Why doesn't any of the NBL players dunk? They all just run up and lay up. I shouldn't have said it. And what he loves to do when he's away from the football field. That and a whole lot more with our special guest today on the Talking Footy podcast. Here's Nick Nattenhilly. Nick, welcome. How hard is it not playing footy? Yeah, it's pretty tough. I'm not a big fan of sitting in the stands and watching footy, um, especially your own team. You get pretty critical. Uh, it makes it even tougher when you're sitting inside the coach's box because, you know, they're under a lot of stress and then you're just sitting there pretty quietly uh, trying not to be a fan, trying to uh, watch it from a different, you know, point of view. It's been a while since I've had to sit in the stand and watch, you know, my own team play. Has this time off, though, maybe in some ways given you a chance to think about the journey that you've been on? Because it has been, from the moment you were drafted, you hit the big time straight away. You've always been on the tip of everybody's tongue, particularly in Western Australia, but around the footy states. You've been high profile and um, and public property. This is almost your first little breather. Yeah, it is. I think uh, probably since the age of you know, 17, 18, I, I played a couple of waffle games. And then once I came into the AFL side, I never really went back. So uh, I've been pretty fortunate. But as you said, it's been pretty busy. So it's been a I guess a little bit of a refresher to sit back and, um, you know, just have a bit of a rest, uh, even though uh, we train pretty much six, seven days a week with, with our rehab stuff. But, you know, it's been a, a rest from, from footy, a rest from, I guess, the, the hustle and bustle of the travel, which comes with it as well. So uh, to have your weekends here in Perth is, is something pretty strange to have every weekend. But, uh, yeah, it's taken a bit of adjusting, but it's, I guess it's a, a good thing in a sense because I've been able to relax and let my body recover a bit. Let's go back to the start, Nick. Tell us about um, where you were born. Yep. And uh, the environment that you were born into. Yeah, I guess um, my, my family's from a Fijian background, so uh, the village lifestyle, I guess, uh, and growing up uh, with, with all of that and having a big family around me was, was pretty big. And, uh, you know, my, my family pretty much moved to Perth, migrated to Perth because uh, my mum's brother uh, got a job up in the mines and, and, you know, he said, come to this place called Western Australia, which, mm. you know, we'd never heard of. So we came across, I came across at a pretty young age and then... Uh, yeah, he was working away and we kind of looked after his house in, in, uh, in little old Midland. And, uh, yeah, we, we didn't leave that place for, a, for, my, entire, for my entirety of my, uh, my teenage years and my, my younger years as well. So spent my whole junior, I guess, life there going through school and then, uh, yeah, only recently moved out of the area. So I'm, I'm a local boy. Um, we know how close to mum you were. What about your dad? Yeah, my, my old man passed away when I was pretty young as well. So uh, I guess, you know, through photos and, and you know, reminiscing, you know, times through, through that's probably all, all I've had growing up. So uh, for me, it's it's pretty much been my mum and um, my twin brother in particular. I've got an older brother and sister. Uh, they're they're back in Fiji. And my sister's currently in Australia. But um, yeah, for us, it's probably been yeah just our mum through my whole childhood, really. Hmm. How old was Dad? <laughs> yeah, I was and I was only yeah I was only two when when my old man passed away. He passed away of cancer. So. Uh, yeah, when when it, when it arises, when guys have similar stories, I think you know Jesse Hogan uh, has won pretty recently with his with his father. You know, it probably hits home even harder. So um, you know, always reaching out and helping guys out like that with you know not really advice, but a bit bit of comfort, I think, and a bit of um, you know thoughts as well. 
Do you feel cheated, Nick? You know, did you grow up feeling a little bit cheated that you know you'd be at footy or wherever, and other guys would have their dad, and yeah, you didn't. Yeah, have your dad? it was always tough. I guess um, something you probably I didn't really understand growing up as a as a junior. Uh, the biggest thing were you know people's dads driving them to the footy, uh, giving them some advice after the game, even mm-hmm. half time. As much as guys got annoyed with it, uh, probably something that I probably craved a little bit as well. Uh, my family, in particular, in general, didn't really know what footy was, so I couldn't really go home and, and you know look to an uncle or an auntie or a cousin that uh, could give me some sort of advice on footy. So I was pretty much uh, the onus was on myself. So uh, that's probably where I reached out a lot of my, my footy coaches and a lot of teachers and things like that who um, have mentored me, and I owe a massive amount to because I guess those guys were. The, probably the role models, the father figures, uh, the male figures in my life that have um, you know helped me pursue my career in football. Did you have any in particular that stand out? Some of those male figures in your life? Yeah, my junior footy coach. Uh, his wife was the school receptionist at the school, uh, and you know he's the one that probably got myself, you know, Michael Walters, Chris Yarren, Jeff Garlett, those boys all, all down to our junior footy club because we, uh, to be honest, we hated training. We used to just we thought footy was just about playing it on the street at the front of the house and. Uh, to be honest, we were pretty good at, at playing it at home. And, you know, when we went to training, it was pretty boring because some of the kids weren't as talented as some of our, our cousins and some of, some of their cousins. So, uh, and they were a lot older as well. So uh, we, you know, we found what it took to be disciplined and, you know, be a part of a team environment and, and learn to work hard as well. Because I think a lot of us are blessed with a lot of natural talent and athleticism, but we had to really knuckle down to try and um, hone in on our skills. So for us, um, yeah, we probably owe a lot to a man. His name was Frank Cavicchio, who used to um, go f- do little things. You know, he used to make sure we had breakfast before a game. Um, he'd have us around for dinners, things like that. That um, You know, a lot of kids in our neighbourhood came from a lot of broken homes. So for a guy, you know, a little Italian guy, he was about four foot tall, um, mm-hmm. to, to welcome us into his home was um, was a massive thing. And looking back now, we are um, very grateful for it. A, a lot of your mates when you were younger were the Indigenous boys around the Midland and Midvale yeah. area. Did you did you grow up with a strong sense of who you were? Did you did you feel like you were one of the boys? Did you? Yeah. What, what was um, your sense of who you were? Yeah, I was always accepted. I think uh, at times you you know being in such a big indigenous community, uh, they always welcomed you in, especially when you had probably darker skin than them. They um they welcomed you pretty pretty um openly. So uh, I was always in touch with my my Fijian culture and what what I had to do because that was reiterated back at home. You know how much the importance of it was and uh, I'd always go back to Fiji when we could and and do some of my traditional cultural stuff so I always had that but also the the indigenous way is not too dissimilar you know family's pretty big and um, you know and and for those guys if you're um, you're willing to learn and understand their their family and their cultures and values are you know, it goes a long way and they, they're very, as I said, they're very welcoming as well. When you were hanging out at the shops together or down the street or playing footy, did people yeah. think, naturally yeah. think, oh, he's an Indigenous boy? Oh, at times I think some people did, but then I think my, my curly afro hair, my <laughs> twin brother as well, probably gave it away. But, yeah, you do realise some of the issues and some of the problems that happens with, you know, the Indigenous communities, um, you know, having lived and grown up with a lot of them, I, I sense a lot of it. And, you know, going out to things like shopping centres and things is always tough, Um I don't know, there's, it's just a thing in Australia at times that, you know, people might think, you know, this kid's stealing or this kid's doing that. So mm-hmm. I, I witnessed a lot of that growing up. But, um, you know, coming through the footy circles, you you know, you slowly change those things when you, when people start to realise how, I guess, how good or how, um, you know, how, how big a heart some of these, these Indigenous families actually have. Yeah. Um, your mum, we'll talk about in a moment, I know how special she is too, but your twin brother and... I mean, a lot of people were amazed once you'd got going and playing football that <laughs> there was another one of you. Yeah, there is. There is. Um, yeah, Mark, he's uh, a little bit shorter than me, probably a bit bigger than me as well, and he likes to say he's stronger than me. But, uh, yeah, never really got into footy. He uh, he loves his footy. Uh, 
an Adelaide Crow supporter, a mad Adelaide supporter. Yeah, still how's has, that? Yeah, I know it hasn't changed. I think Brett Burton and uh, and Andrew McLeod were his two favourites. Mark Rusciuto as well. So. Yeah, he said there's no changing, even though they're not playing anymore. But he's still um, he was a big Paddy Dangerfield fan when he was there. But now he's off him. Uh, he's, you know, it's all about the Charlie Camerons, the Eddie Betts, um, you know, you know, Tex Walker. So he's uh, he's hard to change. I guess he, he supports me in, in some sense. Uh, he always he'll always support his brother. I, I'd hope. But uh, when versing Adelaide, he's a he's an Adelaide man. He, he through through. Adelaide, even when West Coast play uh, Adelaide. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I've seen him do it. <laughs> I've seen him do it. So I'm looking forward to when we play Adelaide again next and see uh, what colours you know he, he chooses to wear. Does he go to the footy? Uh, he used to. He's um, yeah, he's not a big fan of, of, of really going to the footy. He likes to watch it on TV, watch it at home. Uh, I'm not not too sure why, but yeah, mm. uh, he's been to a couple of games but not as many as um, probably what I thought he would have. And was it hard for him, do you think, Nick? I mean, growing up with a brother whose career took off, did it become difficult for Mark? Yeah, a little bit. I think it might have in a sense. Uh, you know, he's a plumber now and he's probably earning more more money than most footballers out there. They rip people off the plumbers. But um, <laughs> he, uh, he, he loves his job. He enjoys it. But I think, yeah, like you said, when you see your brother uh, who's the same age, we've got the same mates, that kind of thing, uh, on TV doing you know, doing certain things, it probably has a little bit of an effect. But I think he's been, you know, the more more part of it pretty happy. So uh, the sacrifices he's seen me having to make, mm. uh, I think, I don't know if he'd be able to make those same life choices. So, you know, we've got the same group of friends. And, you know, on a Friday night, typically at my house is um, me sitting at home drinking my Gatorade and whatnot, and they're there drinking their beers. So, uh, you know, you weigh up the differences, but, um, you know, he, he could have had the same opportunity, but he chose not to do the same. Sure. Has he used the name? Has he cashed it? I mean, is it, um, is it true oh, that from he, time uh, to time people <laughs> didn't necessarily believe it? Yeah, I think at times, I guess when we were really young, we we looked pretty similar. But now we're, um, you know, I've got the dreadlocks. He's got the, the short kind of curly hair and uh, we're a different build just, I guess, because of the past we've taken. But people still kind of question whether he's, uh, you know, when they hear his name, uh, you know, wherever he is in, in a line, getting his name yelled out, uh, they kind of look twice and think, no, nah, surely that's not a, a relative or whatnot. When he says he's my twin brother, it, it makes it even hard to believe. But yeah, he tries to, I guess, shy away from it. And if people ask about footy or whatnot, he just, I think he plays dumb and acts like he doesn't really know uh, who I am. But I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And you are very tight, aren't you? Yeah, we're, we're really close. Um, I guess like any twins, um, you know, you hit him in the head, I'll feel it <laughs> on my side. So um, yeah, we're, we're really close. And mum, Nick, um, I know how close you were and I, I was lucky enough to meet her many times and she was a very special lady and uh, obviously had a huge impact, probably the biggest impact on your life. Yeah, the, the biggest easily. I think, um, I guess everything that I'm, I'm all about was pretty much instilled because of her. Um, you know, all my values and, and, and the way I go about life is because of what she's taught uh, myself, my brother and my sister, uh, my brothers and my sister. So, yeah, I hope probably you know a massive chunk probably the, the majority of it because to her because of um what she's done in in raising us um a majority being a single mum the, the majority of um our childhood years how hard was it at times growing up this is you know mum yeah. having to bring you guys up on your own and having to work as well put a roof over your head and clothes on your back yeah it was tough i guess a lot of people you know they probably um don't get that real understanding when they see i guess they see the nick nanui now you know i've got a a brand new car i've got some a collection of shoes I've got um, a nice house things like that but they don't realize I guess the struggle that my family kind of went through um you know my mum coming to Australia there's no I guess no will no weren't you know weren't entitled to you know welfare payments Centrelink things like that so she had to work two three jobs and and for us as kids we used to be upset you know why can't we have you know the bike that little Johnny down the road's got or um you know why can't I have these brand new Nike footy boots that you know some of my teammates have but 
I guess, you know, and for mum it probably was tough at the times because she couldn't provide those things. But, uh, you know, once I got a bit older, you start to understand how hard actually life is when you've got to go, like even now you've got to go and pay your, your water and electricity bills, how hard those things would have been for a, you know, a single mum with, with twin boys going through school. So, um, yeah, very appreciative looking back now because, um, yeah, there were some tough times, but we're reaping the benefits of it now. What was mum's philosophy on life? Uh, she was a big giver, a big helper. So she was, um, she was always about, I guess, helping others that probably need it more than you. So um, that's something that I'm, you know, I, I love to do as well because I think she's done the same. She worked at a, a welfare, um, you know, uh, housing place where, you know, people who weren't well off, you know, stayed for a while and, um, you know, she was a social worker as well. So she, uh, you know, Christmas time, she'd probably spend half the day with um, the youth of, you know, of Perth, giving them, you know, feeding them, things like that. And then we'd be at home thinking, you know, hurry up, get home, we want some presents. But um, later on, you know, we were able to help out and meet some of these kids who've, you know, we, we thought we had a tough upbringing. I think they've had a tough upbringing. Some of those kids had no parents, had no money, had, had nothing. So, um, yeah, I always, I think her philosophy and always helping others, even if it's your last 10, 20 bucks, is... Um, something that I probably will always do till I die. Were there times when mum brought people home um, that didn't have a roof over their oh, head yeah. for a night? <laughs> every, um, every couple of months, I think, there's always someone new staying at home or, um, you know, some of our stuff would go missing. You know, we'd be missing new T-shirts and, or, or shoes and things like that. And we're thinking, where are they? And then you'd see one of the kids from the, from the refuge, uh, you know, wearing it. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I would get angry. My brother would get angry too. We'd, we'd, we'd try and fight the kid or say, give our stuff back. But then... Um, you know, mum would be quick to tell us that, you know, they need it more than us. So, um, and like I said, the, the older you get, the, the quicker you learn that as well. And, you know, those materialistic kind of objects um, don't mean as much um, when someone else is, you know, clearly benefiting, benefiting from it or enjoying it more than probably we would. Mum's departure seemed to come quite quickly, but had she been sick for a while? Yeah, mum had been a bit sick and um, my, uh, my sister who was who was living in, in the village at the time had had a couple of kids and she wanted to be close to her grandchildren, so... She'd moved back for a year or so back to Fiji, so it was just myself and my brother here in Perth. But and that, that um, I think I'm right in saying it, that had an impact on you, Mum, not being here. Yeah, it does. I guess you lose a bit of guidance. Uh, um, you know, it, it, having no family, I guess, in the country is is pretty big. And I can understand when some of the, our recruits, like uh, Paddy Brophy, who just recently left, has, has gone back home because he's homesick. I can I can understand, empathise with him because um, I don't know. You go home every day and you don't have any family, I guess. So there's no one really to, to bounce ideas off or talk to. Um, you know, it was me and my brother, to, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, I was missing that a bit. So going back home, I try and get back to Fiji as much as I could in, in that period. But, um, yeah, it, it was tough when, when mum left because, um, yeah, you just kind of feel there's an empty space or a void that um, no one can, can really can really feel. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was really tough times. And then, of course, Mum did get sick and yeah, and left forever, and that obviously made a really big impact. Yeah, on it was a massive impact. I think um, footy wise, it was it was probably the toughest because I'd, I'd gone back to Fiji and I, I remember sitting in the village and we were just about to um, fall upon finals time, and you know the buzz around Perth was massive, and you know I remember my whole street kind of um, decorating in blue and gold and things like that, and I, I didn't really want to come home. Um, for me, it was. Um, you know, it was a big time, but at the same time, it was a, I, was, I was still in grieving and still mourning. And I, I still remember the grand final week, I think, um, you know, my uncles and, and my, my family in the village pretty much pushed me out of the village and said, go go back to go back to Australia, go back home because there's nothing here for you. You kind of, you know, mum's, as, as I said before, sacrificed so much. You're going to 
have to try and um, you know uphold that and, and and make her proud by going back and playing footy. So uh, I was I came back home and uh, I was probably still in the mindset where I was still grieving. So I remember the grand final parade pretty pretty vividly, and uh, I remember sitting there in the back of the motor car and everyone's cheering and excited, and the half of WA is there. But for me, it was just a, an empty feeling. I um you know I didn't really want to be there, and I remember sitting in the hotel room. I had probably got about two hours sleep before the, the AFL grand final. I was just sat there with my brother and. Um, it was tough times. We just sat there and cried for the majority of it, and um, because it was such a big time for for football and for the state and for our footy club. But for me, I was still in another place. But um, you know, I look back now, and you know, people will probably say it's selfish at times, saying you know you didn't want to come back or you you're not remembering the grand final as much as you know it's every kid's childhood mm. dream. But I, th I think it was my childhood dream. But at the time, the circumstances had changed, and uh, for me, I was just in a different mindset. So. Um, you know, if it was different circumstances, where if I came in with a different preparation, I probably would have embraced it a bit more. But you know, it, it was what it was, and um, you know, looking back now, it's probably some of the tougher times, but some of the bigger, bigger learnings I probably had in my life as well. Do you think your teammates, those around the club, do you think they knew how tough it was for you? Do you think they knew you only had a couple of hours sleep before the biggest game of your life? Yeah, they did. I'd explained it to the coaches and and whatnot, and, and they were pretty helping. Um, you know, they helped me a fair bit in in respect to that, not only pre-game but post-game as well. I think post-game, I guess the wave of emotions of, of, of what had happened, the year gone and, um, you know, obviously losing in such a fashion to Hawthorne, uh, it got me in the change rooms. And I remember a few of the guys were pretty comforting in, uh, you know, in those moments. So, yeah, something I'll never forget and something I'll, I'll um, you know, always remember those guys for. Mm. When did you go, no, Nick, going back a bit in your footy career, when, when did you think, okay, I'm – pretty good here or I've got physical attributes that do set me apart from the rest on the footy field. Yeah, I was always good at athletics and things like that at school. So um, I probably got to the age of 14, 15 where I, I started becoming, I guess, really good at football. And I, I got chosen for the state 16 squad and I um, I didn't want to play in it, to be honest. I, I said, no, I said, I don't, I don't feel I'm good enough to be playing in a 16s or a state representative side. And I remember the coach, uh, Brett Barber, he came down with a with, uh, David Ellard, uh, who, who played at Carlton, his old man was was down at Swan Districts, and he said they both came and pulled me off the track one day at training and said, "Mate, stop mucking around. You're um, you're playing. You have no choice." Um, so then I I was dragged down to playing that, and yeah, from then on I never really kind of looked back. I um, I was happy that they they helped me along the way, and, and there's been guys along the way who've done that who've pushed me. Um, you know, guys like Robbie Wiley who take me for for kicking lessons every every mm -hmm. Monday night um, at Subiaco Oval, and you know those guys. There was a lot of guys because I didn't grow up in a you know, a traditional footy back, background or, or family. Some of these guys who are legends, you know, Ian Miller's, um, Robbie Wiley's, um, some of the guys who played some awesome football, mm. I had no idea how yeah. big a legends or how big a stars they were in, in Western Australia. Um, and to be able to be coached and mentored by him, I just thought they were just some just some old Aussie guys who were helping me out. And, um, you know, it's just some, you know, and I still say it to them these, till, till this day. Um, I had no idea who they were, but now looking back, I'm privileged because it's like working with a, I don't know, a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan, the Magic Johnsons of, of, of the NBA because um, these guys were stars of, you know, their sport um, in their day. And I guess that was the other hard thing for you growing up, balancing that with your basketball, which obviously you loved yeah. and were very naturally gifted at and probably your physical attributes suit even more than, yeah. than footy because it's that free-flowing nature. Yeah. And how hard was it working out which way you were going to go? Yeah, I think when I was about 16 or 17, a lot of the guys that I played alongside with, um, you know, guys I played with at Perry Lakes um, here in Perth, I, um, 
I saw them go off to American colleges and I had the same opportunity to go and do the same. Uh, I was, as I said, I was pretty good athletic, so I had a, a few guys offer me scholarships to go and, and do that at um, various schools over in America. What sport, what, what d- discipline in particular? With uh, athletics? So high jump was, was, my, was, my, was my best. Surprise, but also, surprise. Yeah, all, all the jumps, all the jump kind of meets were, were what they wanted me for. Mm. I, I think I set a, a, a record at, uh, when I was in high school that allowed me to represent Fiji in the Commonwealth Games. And, you know, I almost took, a, took upon pursuing that when I was 16. But I, uh, I said, I can't justify jumping over a stick for the rest of my life. So, I, um, yeah, I thought, you know, footy, basketball, one of those things are going to have to be the one that... You could have actually gone to the Commonwealth Games. You'd, you'd reached the yeah, qualifying Yeah, I, I qualified it. So, mm. um, yeah, I could have gone. And, uh, yeah, I just I just didn't see the fun in it. Uh, you know, like I see the joy in, in team sport or... I guess most sports, but to run and jump over a pole, I just didn't think I couldn't see myself doing that for the rest of my life. So I think I've made the right choice in the end. So football came through and then the state squad of 16 and then the 18s. Yeah. And I think by the time you're 18, I remember interviewing you at the airport with Daniel Rich, I reckon. Yeah. And uh, I think Stephen Hill probably yep. played in that team. And it was a Parent to everyone that there was something special and uh, you looked different yeah. and you played differently and yeah. you, were, you were physically gifted. Um, were you set then on a career in the AFL? You knew that's where you wanted to go? Yeah, I think so. I think, as I said, during my junior years and even some of my teen years, uh, I probably moved towards basketball a bit more because I, I thought I fit the mould. Uh, you know, now we have all these multicultural programs that I'm helping run with the AFL where, you know, the acceptance and the diversity of the game's just grown so much. You know, you see a lot of African kids coming through, Fijians and whatnot. Uh, you know, you see the Ling Jongs come through. So yeah. it was back when, when I was playing, there was no one at the AFL level who, who looked like me. So I thought, you know, this maybe isn't a game for me. And I was reminding, you know, I had, I had times and stages through my career where people would say, what are you doing? Are you lost? You know, this sport's not for people like you. So uh, that probably drove me a bit harder. And once I got to, you know, 17, 18 years old and we had a bit of success through um, through my Colts team, uh, you know, with guys such as Alex Rance and, and whatnot, we won a premiership at Swan Districts. And then uh, to play in a state squad with so many talented guys, we won as well. And then to see, you know, we can actually mix it with some of the better players around, around the country. Mm. I thought maybe I can make make something of this. So I, I tried even harder. So I was doing things where I was training on my own. I was, um, you know, doing weights, doing running, everything on my own. Else, you know, post footy sessions just to try and make it. And then the draft came along, as you said, and yeah, that was a pretty pretty daunting um, thing. Like I said, my family was pretty tight knit, and you know, there was only the three of us really in Australia or in, in Perth. And um, the the I guess the opportunity to play AFL was there, but then also the fact where I could be living in a completely different state, which Daniel Rich went to Brisbane, um, mm-hmm. was a scary thing as well. So I, um, you know, my head was all over the place. I didn't know um, where I was going to go, but as I said, the rest is history and I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to be able to stay home. Jack Watts went at number one. And you went at number, number two. two. Yeah. Yeah. Selection two, West Coast Eagles. Player 208501, Nick Natanui, Swan Districts. Did you know that Melbourne weren't going to take you? Was it that nerve-wracking leading uh, in? No, when I met with them, they kind of gave me the um, the idea that they were going to take me. So Melbourne I, had. Yeah, so I thought I was going to Melbourne. Um, I've got the same management as, as Jack Watts as well. So, you know, my manager was 
uh, almost certain I was going to Melbourne. So I didn't really care about the number or whatnot. I was just more worried about where am I going to end up. Mm. And yeah, when I got to the draft, I think it was draft morning, I, was, I shared a hotel room with Daniel Rich and I saw in the paper Melbourne would, had met with Jack Watts uh, the night before or whatever it was and it was in the front page of the paper. So I, I had a bit of a feeling that they were going to pick him and I heard his name get called out number one and, you know, I wasn't disappointed I didn't go number one. I was more about who's next, who's the next team and we're going to go, um, you know, could it be Brisbane? Did you Port know Adelaide. it was the Eagles with the next pick? Uh, to be honest, I had, no, I, had, I had no idea. I had no idea and then I... Yeah, I think it was Trevor Woodhouse might have called out my name, or and um, I went to the to the Eagles and met Woosher, who I'd met before, and uh, I guess this, uh, just a sigh of relief just came out of out of me. So I was pretty happy I got to stay home. But then I was more worried about where are my some of my good mates going to end up? Are they going to stay home, come to West Coast or Freo, or are they going to have to travel elsewhere? And the majority of them went over east, yeah. but. Uh, you know, they've, they've made a career of it and they've, they've enjoyed the experience too. Just on that, tell us that group. I mean, because I think people, particularly on the East Coast, aren't aware of how many of you played together at Swans in the Colts or yeah, so, even the under-18s. Yeah, so, how so, many? Yeah, so my Colts team and even my school team, there's about six or seven of us. So, um, you know, my premier, my premiership Colts winning team under-17s, 18s was myself, Chris Yaron, Jeff Garlett, Lewis Jetta, uh, Alex Rance. Uh, you know, we had guys like Jared Blyde who got drafted. Um, David Ellard, I think I've, I've already said. Todd Banfield. Uh, there was there was a, Tony Knott who played at West Coast as well. There was a fair few of us. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a couple more, but uh, the, a lot of the guys are still in the system. Some of the guys have had some awesome careers and are back playing, you know, waffle or VFL footy. But um, yeah, there was about nine or ten of us, you know, from Swan Districts who all got drafted. And then along with the state side, there was another, you know, ten or twelve on top of that as well. So. It was a big year for Western Australia. It hasn't been the same, I guess, for the last couple of years. But for us to see, um, to have, we almost had a, a play in every single footy club. So it was it was good because you could touch base with with players when you were travelling mm. um, to each state, and you felt, and they loved it too because they, you know, they didn't have a, I guess, a sense of Western Australia, a sense of home in their state until we came across. So even though you were playing against them, you, it was good to always catch up with them pre or, or post games. Yeah, and you've been very, you've always been very tight knit with your group haven't you you've always looked out for them they've looked out for you and you've always spoken very highly of them yeah you know even guys that have come through I guess um, I guess the guys who grew up in my area in, in particular you know guys like I still speak to guys like Stephen Coniglio who, mm. who grew up in the same area as well and you know when you see him get injured and things like that you always try to to touch base but whenever they're home um, the boys always catch up and um, it's always always good fun uh, sharing stories or hearing about what's going on elsewhere so yeah everyone everyone seems to be pretty close um, here in Perth Sunday join us for game day morning everybody and welcome to our 10th season of game day hosted by Hamish McLaughlin every Sunday at 10am on the channels of 7 she caught up exclusively with Rui this morning they're pretty confident as well that structurally it's okay Christian Petrarca's in love with Christian Petrarca (laughs) it's where all of footy's big names come to play so you get to West Coast Nick and um, they've had a pretty successful era. Yep. In fact, a very dominant era, and they've won a flag. Yep. And you've got a bloke by the name of Dean Cox, who I think is considered the number one ruckman in the game at yep. that time. How important for you was that? Uh, yeah, it was awesome. I actually had Coxie come to my uh, primary school when I was in year five or six. He came and ran a footy clinic. So, uh, so to be able to play alongside him was, um, was a scary thing, but it was also, uh, um, I guess it was a, a good opportunity, an exciting thing as well. So... For me, it was um, it was about you know some of my idols are still at the club. You know, Adam Hunter, David Wirrapunda, Chad Fletcher, all, all these. Prem- we had about you know 15 or so Premiership players still at the footy club, and they're all sitting in the change room next year. And um, I've been giving the number nine Guernsey. So 
I'm thinking, uh, you know, this is pretty big now. And then uh, to be able to play alongside him um, was a massive opportunity, but I had to get there first. So I remember there was a young guy, Will Sullivan there, uh, Mark Seabee and Dean Cox and Quinton Lynch all there, all who, you know, who, who played in the ruck in some, some capacity. So I had to think, how am I going to get past three or four of these guys to earn my spot in the team? And, yeah, it was tough days early on. And then, you know, we had a few injuries and whatnot. And uh, I got my opportunity and, and wish, you know, when he called out my name to play my first game, I thought this is when I, I really, you know, I've really made it. And, um, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to go back to Waffle level. I want to keep playing at this level. So once I had a taste for it, I, um, you know, it was an exciting thing. And I, you know, I haven't looked back, as I said, since. Now Danui from behind plays his own footy now. Shows a bit of the freaky skills we've heard so much about. It was a moment of hesitation, but it's going to end in a Prentice goal. And a glimpse into the future, perhaps. Nick Natanui, his first disposal in AFL footy, creates a goal. And there's Mum, Tether. Very happy lady. Why wouldn't you be? What a proud moment for the Natanui family. What was your relationship like with John Walsfold? Yeah, pretty good. I was really close with Woosh. Um, you know, we've had a lot of ups and downs uh, on field and off field. So, uh, like I said, he was a, he was a good mentor in my life. He, um, you know, him and his and his partner Georgina, you know, were like another extra set of parents for a lot of the younger guys at the footy club. So they'd have us around for dinners, and uh, and they were guys who were who were legends of 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 the game and legends of the footy club as well. So to have someone like that, you know, around all the time, and you know. Helping me out, he was he was big on helping me out with, with names and I guess things like respect and things like that as well. So, I remember he always had one rule at, at footy clinics: um, you weren't allowed to wear sunnies. He hated that you know, guys would walk to a school and have their sunnies on and not you know give people the decency to look them you know eye to eye. So that's something I still kind of hold on to. I would never wear sunnies to to footy clinics, but also um, just helping me out with names. You know, I didn't know a lot of a lot of people around the footy circles, especially in WA. There's there's some pretty big figures, uh, you know, guys like Barry Cable and uh, Polly Farmers and things like that. And uh, for him to be able to, you know, we'd walk into a, a function or a room and go, that's so and so, he played for here, played there, played, you know, he, he achieved this. Uh, you know, he was he was probably the best at, at helping mm. me out in that respect. And he did that because he wanted you to understand who the people were, but also to understand, I guess, uh, your, yeah. your sense of belonging in that footy landscape. Yeah, he did. Him, him and his brother, uh, Pete Walsfold, uh, used to run, I guess, footy history lessons for us so mm. uh, we'd sit down and learn about the culture of the club and, or, or the state as well and um, why this works a certain way or why you know why this footy club is what it is because uh, you know it never was such a successful club there was some you know some dire times and there's some people who who really heavily um, had a big impact on the footy club so for them to be able to help help us out and learn that side of it but also let us understand that you know it's a privilege to be in our position as well and uh, and you know you're you're among some of these names now as well when you when you start achieving things. So it was a yeah it was a big learning experience for me. And yeah, I, I still keep in contact with those two guys. H- had you been a West Coast supporter, Nick? Yeah, I did. I went for the pies a little bit. I guess I had that uh, uh-huh. um, that similarity with the black and white at um, at uh, at Swan Districts, Swans, my junior sure. club. Yeah. So I I, I enjoyed the, watching Collingwood. I think Alan Didac was my favourite player. At the time, uh, and Leon Davis, those two were, were my two favourite players. But yeah, I was a big West Coast man growing up in Perth. So uh, seeing some of those guys, Juddy, Cuzzy, all those guys were, were my heroes growing up. Sure. Well, you mentioned one of them. Um, so you get to the club and 
There's no one wearing the number nine Guernsey because of circumstances that had happened before. Firstly, just on that, <laughs> the situation for you to get the number nine Guernsey, how, yeah. how did that come about? Yeah, there's a bit of a story to that. So I um, I was in Melbourne, as you said, for the draft. And um, the, normally the day you get drafted, you go straight to your footy club. And for those who are the players who come from over east, they come the next morning or the next night. So I was one of the guys that came with some of the Eastern States guys in uh, Geordie Jones, Ash Smith. Uh, I came back home with those guys back to Perth and I got to my, my to the change rooms and normally the, the highest pick gets the the first choice of numbers and normally you go for the lower numbers, not the higher ones. So I went to go find Cuzzy's number. I thought, oh yeah, number nine's there. And uh, Tom Swift actually had it. So he'd, he'd come straight from where he'd been living in Claremont. He'd come to the club that day before. As soon as his name got called out, he was at the footy club and he'd grab number nine. And um, yeah, I was quick to grab it off him because I thought, oh, you know what, I want I want Cuzzy's number because he was such a big, you know, an idol of mine growing up. And yeah, funny enough, my first game against uh, was against Richmond, which was against Cuzzy in um, his first game against the club, back against the club. So and I was wearing his old number. So there's a few things said and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, that mutual respect still, I guess, is there from from then mm. on. But it was uh, it was, a, as I said, it was a scary time for me, my, my debut, because it was such a big a big occasion for the footy club. Now, I reckon you've told me this story, but first time you're in the middle and he's in the middle, <laughs> I reckon, did he say something to you about uh, yeah, the history of the number yeah, nine? Yeah, he told me a little bit. I won't repeat too much of it, but, um, yeah, he told me a bit about the number nine and, you know, he's pretty cheeky because he'd, um, he'd call for the footy and whatnot and when I'm rucking and things like that. So I think I hit it to him a couple of times in the ruck, but... Um, yeah, there's there's not going to be a bigger name than than Cuzzy wearing that that jumper. He um is a is a hero of a lot of Western Australians. You know he's had his troubles off fields, but the stuff he did on field was um you know it's going to be hard for anyone else to match um you know for years to come. You got such a strong social conscience, Nick. Uh, does it make you sad what's happened to Ben and where Ben is now? Yeah, it does. Um, you know he was um as I said a legend of the footy club, but also a legend of the state, and you know is well respected by everyone and. I guess to see the downfall, you know, he's still, a, a, you know, I don't like to judge too many people on what I see on TV and whatnot. And um, I've I've met Cuzzy in the past a few times, and you know, obviously he's had his, his his issues. But like I said, I've grown up in an area where everyone's had the issues. You know, in in my, I look at my school photo, my school photo all the time that I um, in my graduation book when I was in year seven, and you know, I think about three quarters of those guys are you know are, are locked up or in some sort of trouble. So. Uh, you know, some of them come out the other end pretty good and some are still struggling, but, yeah, they're all good people. And I, I think it takes a, you know, you got to get to know them a little bit and uh, they need a little bit of help. And sometimes those things do take time. But, you know, he's still one of those guys that will always help you out. He texted me when I did my knee. He was one of the first people to text me and, you know, wish me all the best with, with my recovery. Um, so, you know, he still shows a, you know, he still shows a bit of care when, it, when it's needed. What's your view on drugs, Nick? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not a not a fan of drugs. I've, I guess, first like as I said, I've seen what it's done to people's lives, and you know, I've witnessed it. You know, a lot. I've seen it tear a lot of families up, in, you know, especially a lot of my friends and and family. I've seen uh, the struggles and the struggles they've had with with drugs, and the and the part it's it's played on them. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not one to condone doing drugs, and you know, like I said, some people just do it because it's their outlet, but. Um, there's never a really, you know, a good outcome in the end. So what's what's your fun, your clean fun? <laughs> yeah, I can't say it's drugs. I um, I can't go to that. We get tested like there's no tomorrow. Um, yeah, for me, it's fishing. I, um, I I just get out in the boat. So this this morning I was out with Mark Lacar and, and Jamie Cripps and, 
you know, we go to about three, four in the morning and go out for, you know, half the day before training or uh, on the day off. Yeah, we get a few fish. So this morning we, we, we got about five or six uh, decent sized fish. So for us, that's our escape. It's, um, you know, there's no one, you know, these days, if you want to go out to a club or to a restaurant or whatnot, there's, it normally comes with signing a few autographs or taking a million photos. So for us, there's no cameras out there. There's no, there's no hassle. There's nothing. It's just us and enjoying, you know, a bit of, bit of your own, your own time and downtime. So, uh, yeah, that's probably my fun. Has fishing gone past music and basketball for you? <laughs> um, no, nah, they're probably all on par with each other. Fishing is, is a good relaxer. Uh, for me, I still love my, my sport. I still love my, my music as well. So I'll probably probably put them all on the same, at the same height. Well, basketball. Now, you recently, when I say recently, a couple of years back, you got to do a tour of, uh, of America and some of the NBA facilities. You met some of the, the big names and some of the people you've looked up to. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was lucky enough to go on a, um, like a sporting trip and we went through a lot of facilities and uh, I spent a couple of days with, with Paddy Mills in San Antonio and um, at his place we, we went and visited a fair few things and, in the town and that was pretty good fun. But then also meeting guys like, you know, the Kevin Durants, LeBron James. Uh, we, you met LeBron? Yeah, we met them all. So for, for me, I, um, I was able to hook up with a, um, a guy over there who was uh, a chaplain. So he was um, the guy that would run the pregame chapel. So what mm -hmm. would happen would both, uh, both teams would come in and, and pray before a game and they both got the invite. Both teams got the invite and, you know, you'd see, you know, some superstars are there, some rookies in there. And, um, you know, beyond that, you'd be able to catch up with them after that or, or after the game. So we're pretty pretty fortunate to have that sort of access. And, yeah, to meet some of my, you know, heroes and mm -hmm. idols was, um, you know, you see your footy idols, but then you see those guys who are, who are on a massive scale. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was an eye-opener. Kevin Durant, LeBron James, did, do you think they understood who you were? No, uh, so guys like Pat Riley who, who run the Miami Heat, things like that, they, they sort of had an understanding because they'd, they'd seen a bit of vision. But, um, yeah, AFL is a hard one to explain to people. Even trying to explain to my, my family back home in Fiji is a, is a hard one sometimes because it's not worldwide. It's uh, a different game. You know, they, they know rugby, they know soccer, they know all these other codes of, of football. But um, when you say Aussie rules football, it's... Um, yeah, it's like you're speaking some sort of alien uh, language to them. So they, they, they enjoyed it. Once we showed them a bit of vision, they, they love the fact that we don't wear pads and uh, we hit each other pretty hard and there's people jumping and kicking and bouncing the ball. Uh, we even took a footy over and try and get them to bounce and it was it was funny to see. So, yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience and to see some of these guys and see how bigger profiles they are in the world and on the world stage, but to see how, how normal they are at the same sense, it was um you know, it was, was pretty good to see. Speaking of basketball, um, the time you went to the Wildcats and get ca <laughs> got called out from yeah. the, the guy on the court to slam dunk, um, did you think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble yeah, for this? No, at the time, I, I don't know. I I thought it was pretty cool. I, I, said, I made a silly comment. I said, um, I said, I come to all these games and, you know, all these guys are six, seven feet tall, but in the NBA, they dunk. Why doesn't any of the NBL players dunk? They all just run up and lay up, um, you know, lay it up. So I thought, I shouldn't have said it, but then who did you say that to? I said it to the court announcer, and um, he was funny enough. As a comedian of, of a man got up, and Aaron Ford, his name was, was he got up the front and said to everyone on the um, in the crowd, he said, "Nick says such and such," and everyone was booing me. And then they're like, "Well, Nick, why don't you show us how to dunk then?" And I was like, "It's not hard. I'll dunk it over you." And um, you know, I just got caught up in the whole atmosphere of it all. Everyone in the red, you know, um, the red army cheering, and the cheerleaders had their pom poms out, and I got, I just got caught up in the whole <laughs> whirlwind of it, and yeah, end up jumping over him and dunking it, and um, 
Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, to be honest, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I thought I was the king of Perth after that. I thought <laughs> if I can jump over someone, this is uh, this is pretty awesome. And then I sat down in my seat and checked my phone, and I had a text message from from Trevor Nisbet, the CEO of the Footy Club. That quick. That quick. Yeah, he'd he'd seen it. Um, I think someone had sent it. Some one of the corporates must have been at the game and um, videoed it and sent it to him straight away. And he and he'd messaged me and said, uh, "My office 9 a.m." So it wasn't the greatest of meetings. I um. Yeah, let's just say I had a fair bit of his uh, spit on my face from the yelling and screaming um, that went on. But uh, and him and John Walsall kind of counselled me about, um, you know, if you injured yourself, what do you do? And I guess my excuse was, uh, you know, you guys pay me to jump for a living in the ruck. So what I was doing was just jumping. It was nothing too dissimilar to what I do at training or in the game. But I can understand that, you know, the ramifications if I hurt myself and the pressure it puts on the other ruckmen and whatnot to, to play a full game out. So... Um, it wasn't too bad and you know I got the, the stern talking to upstairs in, in the CEO's office but uh, I haven't told this one before but yeah Wusha actually got the vision and he showed it in the team meeting to all the boys in the, in the rooms he's like yeah not bad not bad so um, he, uh, the boys are loving it but he just said don't go tell Nizzy that you know I've I've said it was a good thing. And, uh, and that was probably Wush's way of saying, and I know he'd said publicly that um, what you did that day was what you've been doing all your life. Yeah. Playing yeah. basketball, slam yeah. dunking out in the court with yeah. your mates. It yeah. wasn't that unusual nah. to you. And that was probably his way of saying, hey, I get it, mate. I get you it, yeah, yeah, I get it. We all, like, to, you know, a lot of those guys were just saying, I wish I wish I could do that, I'd do the same. So everyone has their own little skills, but I guess you just have to do a certain few things behind closed doors. What about your music, Nick? Music's <laughs> big to you, isn't it? Yeah, music's massive. I guess um, any Polynesian background, uh, music's a pretty big thing, and uh, whether it's through the church or through um, just the village uh, songs and whatnot, it's it's massive from a young age. So, um, yeah, music will always be a big part of my life as well. So who do you like or who, who are your favourites? Um, yeah, I listen to anyone and everyone, really. I go through different genres depending on how I'm feeling, I guess. So, um, yeah, I couldn't give you a particular artist. I'd, I like a bit of everyone. Now, do you ever dance uh, at home, <laughs> at home when it's just you and the boys, do you, do you get up and dance then? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say no, but I'm going to say yes at the same time. So, yeah, at times. So you don't mind. I'm not going to ask no, you to yeah, do yeah. it. I'm not going to you ask you to dance. do it. I, no, no, I definitely won't do that. But, so you, you feel the rhythm through your body, I guess. No, I think anyone with dark skin has got a bit of rhythm in them, a bit of soul in them. So, um, yeah, I, like I said, I've always had it in my life. So it's, um, yeah, always been a big part. Um, you've found a, a beautiful girl who you're very close with. Yeah. Uh, Ellie's her name. Um, what what has she meant to you, Nick? Yeah, Ellie's massive. I think, um, as I said, not having much family um, over here and then, you know, meeting her and adopting her family, which is um, pretty similar to a Fijian family. They're, they're big, um, like, like yourself, they're a big Greek family. Mm. So um, there's not just one of them, there's, there's hundreds of them. <laughs> so, um, you know, you go from having just, you know, two or three people in your life that you're pretty close to to... Uh, sharing with with what I'd say half a village, so uh, and they're they're loud. They're like, you know, they can cook. Um, they don't like it. They don't like you being skinny. Um, they um, <laughs> they're just a typical Greek family. So uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm a bit of a wog now. I um, eat the same. I cook the same. I'm speaking some of the language. So um, it's been massive, and you know, they probably helped me my last you know four or five years on, on my journey as well. And making sure I'm well fed. And it was kind of meant to be, I guess. Huh? I mean, the fact that you craved family and loved family yeah. and then you meet uh, a girl yeah. who becomes your girlfriend <laughs> who's all about family. Yeah, I think so, all about family. And, um, you know, at times there's times where you go, just I need a rest, I've, I've got too much family now. But, um, no, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think what they've done for me um, has been massive. And, and you know, I've actually taken a few of them over to my family in the, in the village and, mm. 
Um, they get along like a house on fire because, you know, they share a big thing and, you know, they love their food. Um, they love the talk and, you know, they love to sing and dance as well. So it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty good mix. Uh, are kids on your mind at some point? Would you love to be a dad? Yeah, I love kids. Um, I've actually got four little kids running around at my house at the moment, my sister's kids, um, that I try to keep in check. But I, I love kids. My, my You know, Ellie's a, a primary school teacher, so she's got about 30 kids with her every single day. So that might have put her off kids for a while, but no. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'd love to have kids. I um, I always have. So, um, yeah, maybe soon. Maybe soon. So football, Nick, I mean, that that's probably after football or towards yeah. the back end of football. But uh, there's a bit of an enforced break at the moment. You're hoping to play again yep. this year. And, and on that, that's genuine. That's real. You want to play this year? Yeah, it is. People probably ask me and go, oh, you're just saying it to, you know, get everyone excited and whatnot. But for me, no, I genuinely want to play. I, I hate training all week and not having a reward at the end of the, the weekend. So... Uh, I really want to play. And if, if I'm right, I'll, I'll play. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you're not quite there and people go, you know, just hold off. But I'm one of those guys that push it. And if it's 70%, 80% right, I'll be playing, I think. Uh, I know they want us to be 100%, but I really, really crave footy. And I, I know my body well enough now that, um, you know, if it's not going to be right or it's going to be sore, I, I won't push it. But um, if it gets to that point where I hit that sweet spot where I think, you know, I can I can go out there and perform and and you know, match it with, with other guys out there, then, yeah, I'll definitely be putting my hand up. People wonder, is there improvement in Nick Natanui? Have we seen Nick's best and see him more at that level again when he comes back, or can he get better? What do you say to that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I still think, you know, some of my best footy is still ahead of me. So I think a lot of guys, you know, I've, I've played some some pretty good footy, you know, growing up or through my first, you know, five, ten years of, of playing at West Coast. And, yeah, I still think I've got another, you know, five or so years of doing the exact same thing and 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 going, you know, bigger and beyond. I've I've learned a lot more, especially I guess having this time off as well. I've I've learned a bit more about the game and um, you know my my role in particular. And you know some of the better ruckmen in their comp have been playing some good footy when they're in their late twenties, you know, early thirties. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed or not fingers crossed. I've been working pretty hard on it. So I, you know I'm expecting better results. Yeah, and um, do you hear the criticism? Yeah, at times, but, you know, I, when I was young, when I was 17, 18, it probably hurt a little bit, but, you know, now I'm, I couldn't care less, you know. I, I know what I'm all about. I know what I need to do and uh, what I'm doing well. So uh, for me, it's all about the internal noise, not really the external stuff. What's been your best moment in footy so far, do you think? Um, you know, I've had a few. Like I said, I've played in the grand final. Of, um, I've, I've done a lot of things, but uh, I'd probably say my first game still. I think been given my jumper. I just have that memory of Darren Glass uh, giving me my jumper for the first time. That's probably my most memorable moment in footy. You took the mark of the year? Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I took mark of the year. That was that was pretty good fun. Um, but yeah, those things are exciting for short periods. But yeah, I don't know why, but getting my jumper for the first time uh, was would always be probably the, the number one thing. Match winning goal after <laughs> the siren against the kangaroos yeah that was that was pretty cool um the gws one last year was yeah. was um wasn't too bad as well a goal and they win it that's where you Nat want Nui, it he gets the kick oh, yes. oh my goodness is this one to remember absolute madness in the west coast eagles box it makes it makes a long trip from Sydney home uh, a little bit quicker, a little bit more exciting as well. Uh, but, you know, that's, those things are probably similar to the basketball thing. You jump over someone, you dunk it, and things like that. It's, it's exciting for a little bit, but it's those real memorable things uh, that probably mean more to me, like, like getting my jumper for the first time. Have you ever watched your highlights back? 
Uh, I had it one stage. I'm not gonna lie to you. I have uh, you know, I, our old ruck coach Simon Eastall is now at the Dockers. He's probably doing it with Sandy and, and the boys down there at the moment. Used to make a little highlights package with with your favourite song to try and pump you up every three or four weeks to just to get you going and re- reinforce what you do well and what you can do. So um, yeah, I have I have watched my highlights a couple of times. Yeah, yeah and I'm, if, I'm pretty good. Yeah, and when players say they've never watched their highlights or never Google themselves, I reckon they're lying because they would have done it at least once. Have you Googled yourself? Uh, only because I had to in front of the group. The, I think it was one of those goals after the sign. I think I was showing Drew Petrie. I was showing him um, the goal after the sign, but that's the only time. He would have <laughs> played in that match too. He, he did, did, yeah. He didn't spoil. So he was in the pack. He didn't spoil. Uh, so I um, I still get into him a little bit. But then he has the, the argument where he's played over 300 games. So um, I think he's got me on that one. Hey, Nick, as we wind up, um, will there be a career after football? Like, Do you have your mindset on doing something Post football, not just family, but yeah. So I've got my own my own academy started up now with you know the Nat Nui Academy with um, helping kids from different diverse backgrounds out with footy and um, some of the educational stuff. So I'd, I'd look to um, build on that and make a you know start a foundation like similar to what David Wirapunda has over here, and I guess help kids come through who, who've struggled and you know give them a, an opportunity, help them out with some life skills, you know just teaching them how to get by in life because I think footy has given me that opportunity to do so and you know I'd love to just I'd love to give back mm. and, and social media I've got to ask you about yep. you're prominent on social media you seem to enjoy it <laughs> it's probably a nice way for you to be in touch with people without having to be out and about amongst the masses yeah uh, um, it's probably got you in trouble a few times as well has it yeah it has it's um it's one of those things you'll be careful with I guess social media one of those things where um uh, you know nothing's ever deleted it's always there um I've learned that over the years and uh, you know, it's one way you can interact and communicate with, I guess, the general public. Sometimes uh, football players are put up on such a, a high pedestal um, and, you know, they're brought down just as quick. So I think being able to show people that you're actually human, show them some of your everyday life and, and things like that. And uh, I don't know, I, I do understand it to a sense, but in a sense, but, you know, footballers are treated like gods probably a little bit too much sometimes. And, you know, I think social media probably can humble you a bit, especially when you muck up and they, you know, people can write because people have a, 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 I guess, a platform now to, to to communicate with you and they can write whatever they want in your photos or tweet you whatever they want. And you know, I, I love that stuff because it makes it real. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, when when you see a Freo supporter or something say something um, that's really bad towards you, um, that's something I, I really thrive off. I really enjoy. I'm not going to say I, I like it too much, but. You know, it, it makes you think, you know, maybe I am doing something wrong or mm. maybe I, I can improve in, in a sense. So uh, for me, some people don't like it. They stay shy away from it because they're, they're afraid of what people can write. But uh, for me, it just shows that you are real. I, I love it when there's an NBA game on and I'll get your <laughs> running commentary on what's yeah. going on. Yeah. You, you can tell when there's a big game on because Nick's up Nick's and about. Nick's on there. Yeah, NBA's a big one for me. I'm always on there. I've got, to, I've got to steer clear. It means I'm either not training or it's my day off. So um, I'm always trying to sneak in a bit of sport. You you get on well with the media better than most for, for considering how prof, high profile you are. I know we've got a good relationship here at Seven, but um, you've never sort of got too bothered by stuff that other players get bothered by. Yeah, um, I don't know. I guess you get a lot of things, sanctions and, and whatnot about not doing media in certain times. And um, I don't know. I think if you if you shy away from it too much, you can probably have a negative effect on you, and people can start forming their own opinions. So. For me, it's um, you know it hasn't always been good media. It, you know, there's been bad media too. And you know, some people go, "Oh, this guy said this about me, or he's written this about me, so I'm not going to deal with him." But 
for me, everyone's just doing their job. Everyone's human. Um, you know, I've got friends. I, I studied journalism for a year before I came to the West Coast. So um, I have a, a, a little understanding. I wouldn't say a great understanding of it, but I understand how it works. And like I said, everyone's just trying to do their job and um, everyone's just trying to get by in life. So that means they've got to go and um, tell a bad story or get something out of you. Um, so be it. You know, they're just, they're just trying to get by in life. So I don't understand why, you know, the fanfare around people hiding or running away from, from media or, mm. you know, or bagging them in a sense. It's just someone else doing their job just like someone else is sweeping the streets. So uh, someone's got to do it. Someone's going to be the parking inspector, uh, going to give you a ticket. Not everyone likes him, but, you know, he's just doing his job. Yeah, it's a great attitude, Nick. Um, a couple of quick questions to end on if we can. Who's the yeah. best player at West Coast you played with? Um, I'd say Dean Cox. Yeah, six-time All-Australian, I think Dean Cox. Awesome player. Uh, who's the best player you've played against? Mm, I've played against uh, probably two parts of that. I'd probably the toughest would probably be Aaron Sandlands. Um, the most, the one I probably most admired on field is, um, you know, who's really run a muck against us, probably Adam Goods. Yeah. And both people that you uh, admire. Both, as yeah, well. both players are legends of the game, and will go down and you know, I guess will be future Hall of Famers. So, um, yeah, some really good players. Best advice you've been given, Nick. Um, probably the, the dare to dream, aspire to inspire. So yeah, I was told that at a young age. And can you remember um, who told you? I can't remember exactly. Oh, it was my history teacher. I can't exa exactly remember what year he said it, but I remember I was coming through as a junior, and he said, you know, dare to dream and, and aspire to inspire. And you know, I, I probably seek out to do some of that in, in some of the things I do in my life. Yeah, great words. Uh, biggest lie, if there has been one, that the media's told about you. Um, what do they say? Uh, probably that I've got a contract, a separate contract on my hair. I can't cut my hair because I'm getting a couple hundred grand for my hair, but I'm not seeing a cent. I don't even have a shampoo sponsor, so if anyone's out there, help me out. When was the last time you cut your hair? <laughs> I cut it and, and uh, that a, fair, a fair bit, but it's probably been oh, since I was 17, 18, since I've had a different hairstyle, but... I still try to maintain it. I don't let it get too crazy at times. Yeah, you've got the cleanest dreadlocks in the world, I reckon. I'd hope so. I watch it a fair enough. I, like I said, I think I've said it before, I hate people who just leave their hair and think dreadlocks are just what happens when you that dirty kind of mm. muck kind of build up. So Will they be cut not... one day? Yeah, they will. They will. They will. Haven't worked out when, though, yet. Not yet. No, no <laughs> it's a scary, scary thought. The right thing. Last time, Nick, you cried. Oh, last time I cried. What was it? Oh, probably oh, maybe last year. I reckon I was watching the what was it? Pursuit of Happiness. The movie's got yeah. me. That, that movie got me. Uh, on the plane? Were other yeah, I reckon it was on the plane. Oh. Yeah, yeah. There's a few boys crying. I'm not gonna lie. I got a little tear. So um, yeah, but no, I don't think anyone saw me, which is good. You can't <laughs> let anyone see you crying. The movie, yeah, the movie's got you. And where do you see yourself in 20 years? Do you think? Uh, to be honest, probably be selling coconuts back in Fiji. <laughs> I um, I got no idea. I um, like I said, I want my foundation to continue and and you know increase in numbers. But uh, for me, I think I'll still be I'll still be in Perth and be a relative uh, regular visitor to back home to Fiji. Um, Nick, if you could change one thing about footy, what would it be? About my footy or Foot, your about footy, footy or the game of footy? Well, let's start yeah. with your footy. Okay, personally. With, with my footy. Um, I wish I knew what I know now when I was younger. Uh, you know, I think hindsight's a great thing and a lot of people would probably say the same thing. I think if I had that same mindset when I was, uh, you know, a teenager, I would have probably given up and tried to given up a lot of things and, and tried a lot harder with, with certain areas. But um, I guess that's just the way it is. You, you get smarter and, and wiser the older you get. So uh, if I had that knowledge back then, I, I would have loved and enjoyed that. 
Um, and footy as a whole, I think um, one thing I'd change is probably stop change. I think the amount of changing in rules and um, interpretations, not only because it's hard for the players to, to cope with it, but like I said, I'm a, I'm a multicultural ambassador and trying to teach these kids the game of AFL and then explain that a new rule has been introduced all the time, it's um, it's a hard thing to, to teach the new to newcomers of the game. So, um, yeah, just to, just to kind of keep the game. I know the game's got to evolve, but just to keep things pretty similar most of the times would, would be a great start. Hey, Nick, uh, I get to see firsthand how popular you are and how big you are, particularly in Perth where we both live and uh, nobody handles the adulation and the attention like you do. That's a credit to you. But my wife's claim to fame, <laughs> and she always says this to me, she said, uh, I went to Governor Sterling and so did Nick Nat <laughs> yeah, she, she says to me, <laughs> her favourite footballer is Nick Nat Nui because he always comes across as such a nice guy and, and that... And I say to her, well, he doesn't just come across <laughs> as a nice guy. He really is a nice guy. Nick, Thanks, uh, you're a credit to your family. Thank uh, you. I know you miss your mum and your brother and to your footy club. And uh, we're uh, lucky to have you around and the game's lucky to have you around. And it's been great of you to spend some time with us this afternoon. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Good luck and we'll see you back on the footy field soon. Thank you. Cheers, Bess. Nick Natanui, the great number nine from the West Coast Eagles. We're talking footy.